Now, ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Joan Crawford. How are the kids, Joan? Are you deliberately trying to embarrass me in front of these reporters? No. <laughs> I've thought words monsters for years in Hollywood. Yes, I know. Helga, when you polish the floor, you have to move the tree. If you can't do something right, don't do it at all. Helga, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the dirt. <sighs> you lost again. It's not fair. You're bigger than I am. It's not fair to win twice. Ah, but nobody ever said that life was fair, Tina. I'm bigger and I'm faster. I will always beat you. Why must everything be a contest? I would rather be here with you than anywhere else in the world. You. All of you here and everywhere gave me this award tonight. And I accept it from you and only you. Oh, Tina! Bring me the axe! Let's move on to Joan Crawford. What do you say? They clean all the wire hangers out of the closets. Wire hangers, Joan? No wire hangers ever! Why? No wire hangers! What's wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever? Clean up this mess! Figure it out. Barbara, please. <laughs> Barbara, please. Please, Barbara. I'll tell you what to do. Tear down that bitch of a bearing wall and put a window where it ought to be. It's hardly necessary to make threats you surely don't mean. Don't fuck with me, fellas. This ain't my first time at the rodeo. At the where? At the snatch game. <laughs> Why can't you give me the respect that I'm entitled to? Why can't you treat me the way I would be treated by any stranger on the street? Because I am not one of your fans! Welcome back to the show, everybody. Welcome back. Oh, my goodness. We got to this movie. This is a fun one. It's been a, it's been a long time coming for this one. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. I'm very excited to talk about it. This movie and I go back a long way. But everybody out there listening, my name's Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these, these are, are the movies, movies that, that made, made us gay. gay. Yay, Scott. I mean, this movie doesn't need an introduction, but why don't you talk about what we watched and who we are talking with today. Oh, we watched Mommy Dearest, released September 25th, 1981, with friend of the pod, Jackson Cooper. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited. Messaging, Thank you so much. Messaging in from Seattle today. From Seattle Indeed. today. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Um, oh, my goodness. Mommy Dearest. Oh, my God. Mommy Dearest. So, <laughs> of course, 
this one, it was like the like the Chekhov's gun of this show. Yeah. Like, we were just waiting to do a Mommy Dearest episode for a while, and I think we landed on the right guest to talk about it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very honored. I'm, I'm so honored that I didn't know it was such a Chekhov's gun for you guys. <laughs> I'm so I, that now the pressure's on, I guess. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just kind of like I think people we get messages on, you know, online all the time when are you going to get to it. Mm-hmm. And again, I I do remember this movie as a child watching it and uh but it's not something that I'm just like you know, I don't bring it up in conversation like with my coworkers and things like that, but but it is <laughs> It is a movie that you gotta be careful who you talk about to oh, because yeah. some people will some people don't believe it exists. Like oh, right. I think some people I think I don't know how you I know we're gonna get into it, but like I don't know how you guys encountered it, but it occurred to me when I was thinking back on it that this movie was on TV a lot. Yeah. I was going to say, for me, my memory of this movie, I thought it was a TV movie it's, until I was like 30. Yeah. Same I fully day. thought it was just made for CBS or something. I think I just remember stumbling across it when I was probably about 12 years old, just at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on like TBS. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. My mother showed us this. So, so, the, so my connection mm-hmm. to the film is that um, my, my mother, uh, who I adore and love tremendously – Kind, very sweet. Uh, loved this film, and we were mm-hmm. a family that of, of film goers. So my mom loved the Hitchcock and the, Mil- you know, like I, I saw Mildred Pierce after this, and uh, but she loved Mommy Dearest, and I remember she always had it on TV whenever it came on, no matter where in the film it was. So I yeah. had, I mean, talk about the chronology is just off anyway in the. <laughs> In the film, but, like, watching it even more out of order, it was a little uh, strange. So, but I just, my distinct memory was it was always on television. It just always, it was like Father of the Bride. You just, it was always (laughs) on TNT or TCM Mm -hmm. or TBS. And you just couldn't get away from it. Absolutely. Um, It came out in 1981. Yes. Okay, so this is the kind of advent of, like, HBO. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And families getting cable. Cable being kind of affordable. And, you know, I've talked about it on this show before. We had cable off and on. So I feel like we would get HBO and then we'd get rid of it. Or we would get free weekends or whatever. And I remember, I mean, in 1981, I was five you know four but i still have distinct memories of like of this arthur on golden pond yeah. like these movies <laughs> for you know older people that i don't think they really make movies at that audience anymore no right it's, no it's interesting because yeah this is also the age of um you know like the the 80s films were starting to appeal to such younger mm-hmm. people there was the back to the futures coming out there was mm-hmm. um i mean i want to bring her up later but the connections between this and share and sharon stone are just insane like this film <laughs> and fade Dunaway in particular and and all that but you're right it's like this just was such a and it was and it's interesting because it's really 
it, when I was looking back, it's it's a it's one of these the first like films that started to really recreate and address old Hollywood, which was really yeah, interesting. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I want to get into the Ryan Murphy, like how he this was obviously mm-hmm. an influence for a lot of stuff for him, but it it just struck me in watching it again how. Um, how it was this sort of recreating old Hollywood, even in '81. Yeah. You know, they were yeah. they were still in love with old Hollywood back then. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things struck me about this movie uh, when on our most recent rewatch, but I kind of want to go back a little bit to me as a child watching yes. this on television with my sister, and my sister and I just thinking that it was. It was scary. She was frightening to us. But also at the same time, I have a vivid recollection of my sister and I watch. And, you know, my grandparents lived with us. Mm-hmm. So it was like everybody gathered around. We watched Mommy Dares. And I have vivid memories of my sister and I. When the wire hanger hits Christina <laughs> and it's a close up of, you know, of yeah. the hanger hitting her body and at, you know, this actress, uh, Mara Hobel, is she's padded. She's wearing pads so that right. – because you know Faye Dunaway was going at it, right, with she this was, little she was girl. pretty method on this movie. Yeah. But, you know, you could kind of see the pads coming through. And on these extreme close-ups of just her, like, little pajamas and the wire hangers and my sister and I – losing our minds because we were like it's a doll it's a dummy (laughs) and just like screaming laughing and thinking it was so hilarious and you know my mom just being like why are hangers and i just have this memory as kids just and i don't know if it was because maybe we were really scared of this of the child abuse going why are why are the four and uh, seven-year-olds in the room watching this exactly yeah. with the rest of the family. Sure, my parents couldn't say go play. No, we had to watch it all. Gather together. around the TV, y'all. Well, We're watching we forget, Mommy Dearest. We forget because I I had this when I rewatched it. It's rated PG, but it's oh, sure. but it's eighty one. And like the, yeah. when I was watching it because it's available on Prime, it mm-hmm. said PG for violence, language, and sexual content. And I was like. Huh, you know, oh but goodness. it was that kind of PG that like the Stepford Wives was PG, and you're right. like, that's yeah. uh, that's not PG. So I, yeah. I, yeah, I think that still probably was considered like family stuff, and there's no like right. bling sex in it or or no. like full frontal nudity or anything. So, mm-hmm. um, and and it was it was such a reference point for like old Hollywood history. Like people really thought. That that's how Joan Crawford was right. for a very long time. I mean, even still right. today, I think people look at that film as – and then say they know everything about Joan Crawford, which is not true. Absolutely. I mean, uh, when uh, one of the things I noticed last night specifically was that this isn't a Joan biography. It I, skips over yeah, so, so much, much. of mm-hmm. her career that – that's not the point. You know, the point was Christina telling the story. Well, and an interesting tidbit was that um, uh, I think it was um, David Coons, who was an executive producer, was uh, Christina's then husband. Mm-hmm. And, oh, he was, yeah. and he was on the set. He and, helped option it. Yeah, yep. and helped make sure that they didn't fuck it up or anything. And so <laughs> – but he was starting to get in the way very early on in production. And okay. so Faye 
got uh, Terry O'Neill, who was her, uh, I think, boyfriend at the time. He was this photographer to also be an ex uh, executive producer. And so there was this constant collision about, um, you know, how Joan was seen through Christina's point of view and like the source right. material and then Faye's like, we got to do her justice and stuff. And you bring up a good point because in reading about it, everyone thought they were making a very serious movie. Yeah. Like everyone thought and that's they how were, it was marketed. Yeah. And everyone thought they were making this serious biopic of, of Joan Crawford. And it's just not true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. And, and when this book was optioned in 1978, cause this book was probably optioned as it was getting published. Oh, like it yeah, probably hadn't even hit sure. shelves and Paramount had a stake on this property, but also like Franco Ze- Zeffirelli who did Romeo and Juliet was attached to like the oh early gosh. scripts oh of this. God. And when they parted ways, it was because I think Franco Zeffirelli kind of wanted to do more of a traditional sympathetic view of Joan. And Christina was like, no, yeah, this is not the type of movie that this is. So he decided to exit it. And wasn't it Zeffirelli who, who he had a quote or something that said like, in order for a woman to have that power, she has to be a monster or something. It was something extremely, oh like, blamely sexist yeah. that was like, of course Joan Crawford was a monster. Like, you, you can't get into Hollywood being nice. And it was just yeah. such a an old, stilted version of, of how directors saw women, even, even through the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's something very 70s and 80s about these men coming into this production that don't really have a stake in it other than being the significant yeah. other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it just it just reminds me of like, you know, Peter Goober entering Hollywood mm-hmm. by way of Barbara. Right. You know? it's right. Like, what the hell are you doing yeah, and this, producing these movies? And this control over them as starlets and stuff and mm-hmm. and and uh and, you know, I mean, we got to give Faye credit. I mean, she really fought and was very much her own self in all of this. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of pretty incredible because, you know, I mean, years later, you do get Streisand, do, you know, fighting against the studio system to star, act, produce, and direct in, in Yentl right. and stuff. And, uh, and, yeah, I mean, we think of the 80s as being like, Oh, yeah, it's after the feminist revolution in the 60s and, like, after Jane Fonda and everything like that. I mean, Jane Fonda's still working, but we we always think Hollywood's more progressive. And then we hear stories like this and we're like, oh, right, it's not. Like, it's totally not. (laughs) And I think a movie like this today would be directed by a woman, and that wasn't Mm -hmm. even an option in 1980 when they shot it, too. No, and there's – out of the four writers, I think – Think, well, is one a one a woman? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Tracy something. I assume. I don't know. I, right. Um, I saw – so again, we saw this a lot on television, my family and mm-hmm. I. My mother loved it. I think because my mom loves old movies and she really loves Joan Crawford. Like uh, right. uh, love um, Mildred Pierce, which again I saw right after this. And – this was so. This was because I had never seen a Joan Crawford movie before this. So I actually, I was so young, I was like five. I actually believed that this was Joan Crawford, and there was this part of me that was like, "Why is Joan Crawford playing herself in this movie about <laughs> sure. herself?" And I also went, "Wow, she looks really good." And then. Yeah. 
Because she did. And, like, Roger yeah. Ebert commented on it. Uh, he came on set and was like, you look exactly like her. I mean, Faye's performance, just alone, just the way she looked, I was like, this is Joan Crawford. I don't even know her, but yeah. it looks like her. And... Um, It's funny, the most recent experience I had before watching it here was uh, when I was curating movies at Alamo Drafthouse in Raleigh, um, I curated an an anti-Mother's Day, Mother's Day marathon. (laughs) So it was um, Serial Mom and uh, um, Mommy Dearest and then Mildred Pierce, and it was back to back to back. And I took my mom to go see Mommy Dearest because when do you get to see Mommy Dearest on the big screen? Yeah. And I introduced it and I said, it's cult classic, camp classic, gays love it, you know, women adore it. It's very cathartic. It's very funny. And there was laughter for the first like 30 to 45 minutes. And then everyone just got so quiet. For it's the- when Diana Scarwig sort of <laughs> enters in the movie that it's yeah. sort of it's it's kind of funny because I, I think Diana is really good in this movie yeah. and she kind of gives this role some gravitas of that holy shit like this actress is really like she's really knocking this role out of the very park very good yes and but we it was just so funny that I suddenly saw Mommy Dearest like the same way I saw it as a child which was as this horror movie I was yeah. like this is a terrifying terrifying movie to watch yeah. and it yeah it yeah. was just really funny how everyone was having a good time and then it just got like mm-hmm. watching night of the living dead for the first time <laughs> like quiet everyone's like we're not having fun anymore she's psycho this is insane yeah. and and i turned to my mom at the end and i was like that was a lot scarier than i remember <laughs> yeah. yeah that's the thing when you watch it when you just Sit down, dedicated, and watch I'm it. I'm going to watch this from start to finish and not turn it off and yeah. not just watch – just select scenes of the movie. It's a pretty heavy experience. It's a very just sitting down experience. to watch it. Yeah. And the only things you – the things that make you laugh are the clips that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. But then everything in between – Either you just don't care because they're boring, and <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, like uh, what was his name who uh, who played Greg um, uh, Stephen Forrest? I was just like, right. wow, like like yeah. talking to a piece of wood. This guy, I mean, <laughs> and then and then uh, I said, so it's either not good or it's just like a massive peaks and valleys of just like, and we're yes. up. And we're down and we're up. Yes. There's no consistency to it, which I guess is probably why because of the four writers involved. No one can right. make a difference or um, make an impact. Yeah. Another thing I noticed when we were watching it is there's no um, there's no supers of what year it is. Yeah. It's difficult to tell. <laughs> the time structure for Joan's life is so confusing. Before Diana Scarwood comes in, yeah. the really the only thing that we as a viewer have to latch on to is Christopher because yes. Christina is this is the same actress right. from, you know, 
there's the baby Christina, and then once it becomes Mara Hobel, it stays her. But then there's like three Chris- levels of Christopher. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> until you know, until she gets shipped off to boarding school, then right. you're like, okay. But still, you're just like, I don't know, what year is it? Well, and the only thing, it's so subtle, but it's at the beginning when she's in the car, she opens it, and it's Ice Follies of 1939. But 39, it's like that's yeah. such a, but that's still such a bad, like you know. Uh, yeah, you're you're so right because you you can't trace the fashion changes because Joan Crawford mm-hmm. had her own fashion hairstyles mm-hmm. never changed so it was you know the uh, and even like the invention of television like is never mm-hmm. revered or this new thing it's just like and suddenly we're you know we're here and right it's, all it, of a sudden yeah. she's fired from MGM and she's fighting for the role of Mildred Pierce Mildred <laughs> Pierce is kind of like yeah. a big. <laughs> Like plot, I, I mean, as it was in Jones' real yes. life, because that role meant a lot to her, and she really had to fight for that role. And kind of, she finally got the real Academy respect of her peers when she won Best Actress, which she did not think she was going to win. So that was a big moment of her life, and I feel like it's sort of glossed over in the movie. Like it's there in the movie, but I feel like it's kind of an even bigger deal than how they treat it in the movie. Yeah, because I mean. This goes to Ryan Murphy's feud. I mean, that's a big mm-hmm. integral part of that series yeah. for sure. Um, and and you're right. It was a, a sea change for her. And also, if you watch Mildred Pierce again, I mean, rightfully so, you are like, she deserves she it. it. Yeah, she's incredible. Mm-hmm. And absolutely um, against type. I mean, very much going back to kind of her roots of, of early 30s work and her melodramas and stuff. But, um, yeah, it's very much skimmed over. And I always feel it, it, it's just this conduit to get to No Wire Hangers. Yes. Like, the entire yes. film yes. often feels like just a way to show her abuse, which is yeah. probably that Christina aspect coming into it. Because um, yeah. it is a film that, at its best, is in Faye showing the vulnerability of Joan. Like, yeah. um, but... That doesn't happen because the script doesn't let that happen. Like, very There's really good stuff in there. There's seeds of good stuff in there about, you know, being a woman in Hollywood, being a single mother, being, you know, all of this, you know, not The amount of work that it would have been to have been a female movie star in those days. Yes, yes. And even – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say things like, you know, the lengths that she went to to get Christina because – I mean, they do show that, how they, they deemed her unfit because she wasn't married and she was twice divorced. She was and... like the original gay parent trying to adopt a kid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, like, the real story is, like, they got her out of Vegas or they got her out of state or something. And he just says, like, I pulled some strings, baby. I, yeah. And that's like, it. And that's, that's it. it. That's all we get. That's all we get. Which, if yeah. I were Christina, I'd be like, is that all you did? Also, it really hit me on last night's viewing that the twins aren't even in this movie. No. And the twins are such a huge part of her life. But the thing about the twins is that the twins' experience of the whole thing is completely opposite of Christina. Yes. So I feel like they felt like they couldn't even address them. Yeah, because of that. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, because when I was doing my research, I was like, oh, they are totally absent. And like, mm-hmm. what a kind of a selfish move, you know, on the part of Christina of like right. that spotlight. And um, yeah, it's it's a yeah, it's just it's so interesting, too, because 
there, again, there are those vulnerable moments because there is this thing of like she doesn't want to go back to poverty. She's really driven by, you know, uh, by family and the family she never had and stuff. And but mm-hmm. again, we only get peaks of that or hints. I mean, there's that scene at the beginning where she's with Greg on the beach and she's, you know, he's he's taking jabs at her for like yeah. in her past and stuff, and she's. She gets very defensive, uh, rightfully so, but, like, mean. You know, we see, like, the first – one of the first inklings of her being just, like, vicious towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. She It is – it is a, it could have been a really powerful movie about being a woman in Hollywood, especially, like, I think about what you had said if this were directed by a woman today and it starred somebody – who was going through what Faye was going through, they would have really integrated that. Like, that would have really informed it. But people yeah. didn't really know, or I guess it wasn't as public at the time, that after Faye won the Oscar for Network, her career kind of really went down. Yeah. And she mm-hmm. was fighting hard, and this was going to be her comeback. Kind mm-hmm. of like Joan with Mildred Pierce. It was like she had to do this. In order to be respected again in Hollywood, um, and then of course it just went off the rails and became yeah. and became mommy dear. So, <laughs> isn't there a television interview with Joan where they ask her who would you like to play you in a movie, and she says Faye? I think it, I think, I think it's is, true. Yeah, is an interview. Of yeah, that. I think it's something about who does she think has what it takes. Yes. Sure. Yeah. She or who's yeah something like I think who's the most talented actress working mm-hmm. today or something, and she says that which. Yeah, and which, you know, when you when you see that, I mean, I'm obsessed with the mythos around this, this this, yes. this film. I mean, this, like, idea that Faye was never there, it was only Joan, you know, like, <laughs> and this, this, like, possession that happens. And I know we're in this culture now of the Daniel Day-Lewis's and the, you know, the yeah. Charlize Theron and Monster kind of, like... You know, the transformation has to be whole body mm-hmm. and soul and, like, you're you're not the same after that role. And for Faye, it was, like, I'm obsessed with the fact that, like, people are still talking about it, but everyone still brushed it off because Faye was such a big star. Right. They were like, oh, no, she, she wasn't really. You know, she can't – she's not that good of an actress. <laughs> but she, but I mean, she sounds legit when she talks right. about it. Yeah, yeah, and I believe it. There, are the, I mean, that wire hanger scene. I'm like, if that's not a demon coming out in on screen, <laughs> feels like it. It feels like now, a yeah. 3D movie at that point. Yeah. Now, who plays Caroline? Rutanya Alda. Yes. Rutanya Alda talks about on the DVD of that slapping scene. Yes. And just like they shot that scene like <laughs> seven times. And Faye never held back once when she slapped her. That's my favorite scene in the whole movie. <laughs> That's good. Because it's, uh, it's so I shocking. Have... It's like, oh my God. But I yeah. feel like the shot that's in the film, it it looks like it connects, but it's not, I mean, it's not as bad as when she hits Christina yes. later on in the big, yeah. you know. yeah. Not one of her fans <laughs> moments. But um she you know, yeah, that's that's a great one. And then reading the lines from Mildred Pierce. I love the the caricature elements of I'm of Joan mm-hmm. in the in the styling. Yeah. Uh the uh, Christina birthday party. Yes. At the at the beginning at the towards beginning, the beginning yeah. of the movie. Mm-hmm. The hat 
with the bow <laughs> under the chin I mean, and the huge rolls and the giant bangs. I mean, didn't John Waters say that this is the first drag queen role played by a woman? <laughs> and that of her at the birthday party is straight up like Lipsinka as Joan. I even thought I even thought when she's getting that her her morning routine was yes. very drag like I love literally the opening, literally putting love the opening shot yeah, this movie. literally putting on a face and I was just yeah. like oh yeah there it is there it is yeah. I mean this was how I knew about camp I mean I lay yes. I right after this watched um uh, uh Valley of the Dolls and like mm-hmm. like literally like months apart um from seeing this but I remember the thing that the thing about this that defined camp for me was just Faye's, you're right, Faye's outfits and just mm-hmm. how big everything was. Yeah. It was just how, like, ma- I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the mom in sleepaway camp. It's just like how big <laughs> the colors and the and the everything where it's like, that's all yeah. you remember. You just remember... Um, and just show, I learned that, you know, women wore, or she wore shoulder pads so mm-hmm. often and stuff. And, uh, just how, how fucking, you know, beautiful she was. Yeah. I, th- yeah, I think mm-hmm. too, especially as kids that for the generation of people that saw this movie as kids, you just see these wild shapes, yes. you know, yes. her hair is in these huge rolls. Her eyebrows are just painted on you know that the triangle shul- shape the shoulder pads mm-hmm. to the waist all of it so that kind of thing for a kid it just gives you this image i think um the director kind of i feel like the director has gone thrown under the bus for a lot of years mm-hmm. for this movie you know if not from Faye, then from i think it's just kind of become known to the general public what like Oh, well, he didn't pull her back enough. Mm-hmm. He just let Faye run wild. Yeah. And he didn't really direct a performance out of her. Right. But what you mentioned, the opening shots of this movie where we don't see her face for, you know, full two so effective. minutes. So effective. It is so good. And yeah, this the ice bath the, to the face. The instant facelift, which is like the old school movie star trick. Of an Which have you have you tried of, that? Mm-hmm. I've tried it and it's awful. <laughs> I tried it after I saw it with my mom at Alamo. Oh my the next goodness. day, I was like, "I'm going to do the ice bath and stuff," and I was like, "I hate this. I don't." So, <laughs> not only is it an ice bath, but the thing that she did supposedly was it went from hot water mm-hmm. out of the sink because you can see steam, right, steam rising out of the sink. Steam, yeah, right. Then it's the ice bath, but she pours something into the ice Mm. and i forgot what it's called but it's like nightshade i forgot what it was called at the time but it was this thing that was used as a beauty product and uh belladonna something like that and it's it's this thing that would like make your pupils a little bit bigger it would make your pupils dilate I feel like we've talked about Belladonna on the show and before. It's just, but it's kind of like it's kind of like poison. Like it's kind of like really bad. Oh, like you're, you oh, are like not. You can't buy it the way it was sold at the time anymore. Yeah. Like it's just not good for you at all. Oh, interesting. Um, but she that there's something that she pours a clear liquid that she pours over the ice. Yeah. Bef- right at the beginning, and so she goes from the 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 steaming hot. You know, water to the ice bath with the belladonna, like in it. It's a whole thing. Well, then, I, well she, then I did it wrong. 
Uh, right, maybe exactly. that's why it didn't work. <laughs> obviously, so. this ain't no ice bucket challenge. And did you pull the did you pull the bowl of ice out of the fridge in your bathroom? Obsessed with the not, fridge in the bathroom. It's iconic. I just I, did a I little a fridge bowl in my bathroom. and then went like, okay, because I was like, you I got gotta it. try this. But it was also I felt very much like how you know how gays criticize straight men by like washing their faces with soap and everything right. and like bar soap like, yeah that's what i'm doing right now i'm doing the Pretty joe much. crawford yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um the house is iconic and this this bel-air mansion and the th- and the the rolls royce i mean the cars yeah. i was talking with a friend today i was like the cars in this movie and um, and all the costume, I mean, I know the costume designer, she was, like, worked with Judy Garland and everything oh, wow. like that. And she hated Faye. I mean, I, I love, <laughs> I just love, I love the story that the crew hated her so much. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like Sharon Stone. I think it was on Basic Instinct where, like, the crew peed in the bathtub. That, yeah. that folklore. I've heard that. That lore yeah. that, lore that I'm, <laughs> it sounds too good to be true. I mean, come on. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's. I mean, the the entire production design. That's also what made me feel it was a TV movie too. There was this lavishness about it that I had only seen in these like old um, TV films, like uh, you know the Joan Rivers one with Stocker Channing, and like these oh, like yeah. massive, you know, huge production design that I'm like ABC did this. Okay, great. Sounds good. Works for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I don't want to bring it back too much to, to Feud, but yes. you can just see how um, he referenced, you know, this house in, and um, the the pool and the pool house and all of that. The staircase and Feud and the two yes. living rooms connecting. Yeah. Yep. And it's, I mean, it's funny because... <laughs> you know, you can if you watch if you watch a, a lot of the movies that you guys have on your podcast, it's like mm-hmm. you can really see where gay directors and writers working today are like, you know, everything's a copy. Like even John Waters, yeah. it's like if you just mm-hmm. watch Valley of the Dolls and Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, you got it. You're good. Like oh, yeah. and, and Mommy Dearest. But uh Ryan Murphy, it's so funny because it's such a copy of a copy of Dior kind of thing, you know? <laughs> it's just very, like, yes and feud, I think, because he knew that there were going to be cinema gays like us who will watch it mm-hmm. and go like, are they going to do the mommy theorist thing? But <laughs> even in Hollywood, which I particularly did not like. Um, I didn't finish he, Hollywood. Yeah. it's yeah. I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> But he did this thing that was this mommy dearest thing, which was what we were talking about at the beginning, where it's like it's one view of old Hollywood. And it's almost which this bothers me about like when when they're starting to do. I mean, Mank was very different. I really enjoyed Mank. But Mm -hmm. something like uh, Hollywood is a good example where it was it, it felt like it was trying to right the wrongs of. The day, sure. you know, it was like it was trying like for this, it was Christina trying to receive public validation that she was the victim, you know, and that right. Joan was the enemy. And in Hollywood, too, it's like it was trying to just scrub off everything about Hollywood and make it this like, isn't it great to live in the 40s? <laughs> Which Mommy Dearest is kind of like that because it's like, mm-hmm. well, Joan had this great life and how lavish it is to be a movie star and to be a woman 
to be Joan Crawford. You know, it was yeah. this. Um, what what what? Uh, it was the illusion of beauty. I think they called right. it or something. It, it's it's just fascinating how this kind of translates into Ryan Murphy's work as being like it's still this philosophical idea that like classic Hollywood is always going to be beautiful and wonderful and not dirty and everything like that. Right. And yeah. one of the great things that few did, especially with the perform the portrayal of Joan, is that they were given. 10 hours of TV to really punch right. up that character. Yeah. Right. And that she's just not a caricature in Feud. Like, how Jessica Ling plays her, it's fully fleshed out. And it's something that they just really couldn't get right in a movie, in a script like Mommy Dearest, too. Right. And you're right, because in Feud, you you have the time, and in, you, you know, in, and in in a film, it's only, you know, you only have an hour and a half to get an idea of somebody's life. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and I actually thought her, the portrayal of her was what they were wanting to do with Mommy Dearest, where it was this strong woman who is continuously strong. Like, I think one of the best films, or one of the best scenes in the film in Mommy Dearest is when she's at the board meeting. You drove Al Steele to his grave, and now you're trying to stab me in the back? Forget it! I fought worse monsters than you for years in Hollywood. I know how to win the hard way. Miss Crawford, we don't want any hard feelings. You don't know what hard feelings are until I come out publicly against your product, and you'll see how much you sell. Please, Miss Crawford, it's hardly necessary to make threats you surely don't mean. With me, fellas! This ain't my first time at the rodeo. You forget the press I delivered to Pepsi was my power. I can use it any way I want. It's a sword. Cuts both ways. Because it's like, that's who Joan was. Joan got shit done. Yeah. And then she knew walked, how to bust those balls. Yeah, and then walked <laughs> out of you know walked out of the set and the crew and everyone's just like, okay, that's what we're doing. Like that's just yeah. always how she was. I mean, she was in that crew with Olivia De Havilland and Cat Hepburn in the '30s, who went against the studio system and to negotiate right. the contract. So it's right. like she wasn't she wasn't fucking around. I mean, not yeah. at all. But yeah, it's a feud feud with all its flaws is still very good <laughs> in their portrayal in that way. Mm-hmm. I think this movie attempts to sh- attempts to show us that like you know when she does things with Christina like doesn't let Christina win the swimming race. <sighs> you lost again. It's not fair. You're bigger than I am. It's not fair to win twice. Ah, but nobody ever said that life was fair, Tina. I'm bigger and I'm faster. I will always beat you. Then I'm not going to play with you anymore. You know, I will always beat you. (laughs) I'm bigger and faster. (laughs) You know, and it's it's just her tough love. And there. Christina had a lot of opportunities that 
I mean, if she would have stayed at the orphanage, those nuns would have been just as mean to her. Just as mean. <laughs> so it was tough Still love. would have slapped her around, beat her with a, you know a wooden and she, hanger, probably not a wire. Yeah, and she one. wouldn't have. She wouldn't have lived in the lap of luxury. I mean, come on. I she's do miss. So ungrateful in this movie. <laughs> she's so ungrateful. I know. I wish. I wish there were the plastic slipcovers, though. That would have uh, kind of really. Hammered at home, the just the the type of woman that she was. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even through all the wealth and luxury, she wanted to to keep it under this you know veneer of fakeness. Um, yeah. So I think they tried to show us like, well, she's trying to instill certain values into these kids, yeah. but then you would see like any time you know Greg would be just like, oh, well, she's just a kid. Um. It's like, all right, we, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Woo, parent of the year right there. Yeah, we get it. Um, I think that somebody like Carol Ann kind of plays it a little bit more like, well, we're just, we're we're in this house with her. Like, this is our life, you know, and this is what we have to do. Like, it's time to get up. Let's go outside. She wants to go, you know, she wants to go trim the rose bushes. I know it's two in the morning, but. You know what's wild about the character of (laughs) Carol Ann? And the actor says that they cut it. Is that Carol Ann, they set up that character that she was one of the women that would just stand outside of the studio and wait for her autograph. Right. And Joan just brings her into her limo of just like, you want a job? Get in. I love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> they should have kept that in the movie. That's yeah, also that's, that's also very drag queen. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh and, and if they don't say that, then they're lying. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I love the publicity campaign about, around this, how they were seeing that it was being taken as kind of a comedy. And so the, right. tag, the tagline became, uh, what was it? It was like Faye Dunaway and Mommy Dearest, the biggest mother of them biggest all. Mother. Something like that. Yeah. And she hated it. Like she yeah. just, it blew her mind. It, it, it angered her rightfully so. Um, and that it was, uh, you know, she wins the Oscar, and then you know, a few years later, she wins the Razzie Award for it. Yeah, like it's just, and it's uh, it's one of those things that you know the the studio tried to you know, like they saw what was happening, they, they saw were that reading all of the reviews, they saw mm-hmm. the you know where it was going, and they said, hey, let's just you know make chicken salad out of the chicken shit let's get but. some drag queens let's get some drag queens to show up at but a they just, uh, at a showing but they just did it the most corporate way possible so you corporate. know it's it's like when just like stuff like that needs to happen organically yeah you know if like exactly target target comes in and tries to make like a viral tweet it's like no exactly. target like that's not how that it's or RuPaul I mean, tries to advertise old navy <laughs> like come on <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> or even no it kind of reminds that. me. It kind of reminds me of what Universal tried to do when Cats came out, and that it was yes. such a huge bust. Yeah, and they kind of tried to lean into the rowdy cat screenings. Yeah. at the Alamo Draft House, mm-hmm. but there's going to be a reason why those probably aren't going to be around when theaters open back up. Yeah, just I mean, because yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go just because audiences just sort of have to do that for themselves. Yeah, it, a, a film. Because cause I, I, I've written about cult films and, like, how do cult films come to be about? And it's like you can't mm-hmm. force a cult film. Yeah. Like, you can't – and that's why that's what really pisses me off a lot about movies nowadays where there is such big campaigns around it that 
uh, you know, reviewers and, and even press releases for studios are now like destined to be a cult classic. And you're just like, you can't, you can't say something like that. Like, like, sure. We all like shampoo now, but like, you know, it's like, you know, (laughs) like, you know, or witches of Eastwick, but it's like, but at the time they were like, no, it was just a a film. Like you don't Mm -hmm. do that. And, of course, we know that's how Pink Flamingos, Rocky Horror, yeah. The Room, all those came about. And kind of how Mommy Dearest was because it was people like us who saw it on television and also it was adopted by John Waters, RuPaul, like yeah. Drag Race, all these people who took inspiration from it. Um, and, yeah, I it, it just really pisses me off when studios are, yeah, trying to be corporate now. And, like, with Cats, they're like, you're going to love it in a year because it's yeah. so fun. <laughs> Isn't it fun? And it's just yeah. like, you blew millions of dollars on this. No, we hate it, and we will continue <laughs> to hate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Breach. Um, there, I mean, the amount of iconic and quotable lines in this movie. Oh, I was trying to. To copy and paste them on my notes, and I have like half a page. I was gonna say. So, what are They're you so guys? Good. What are you guys' favorites? You know, something that I hadn't even thought of <laughs> for years and years until we were just watching something. What were we just watching that brought up Barbara? Please, Barbara, please, please, Barbara. <laughs> Barbara, please. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. Please, it's Barbara. Barbara, please. <laughs> Please, Barbara. Do you know, I think that's Marlon Brando's sister. Is it? That she says that to oh, that's funny. The actress? Who's doing the interview for yes, Red Book? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Barbara, please. It's so that's, good. It, I love that's that. That's a really good line reading. And that was something that, to me growing up, I never latched on to. Same. And, same. You know, that, was, but... that was a recent thing. I, I, I think it was when I watched it in the theaters and I laughed out loud. I was just like, <laughs> I, never, I never caught that. I never caught that. Yeah. I love um, – I caught this when I was watching it the other night, which is – When you polish the floor, you have to move the tree. If you can't do something right, don't do it at all. And and there's also this really like this tick that Faye Dunaway does where she she like waits three seconds and then says a line. Like she does it mm. at the beginning where she it she turns around and it reveals her and she's just sitting there and then she goes Okay, I'm ready. You know, and you're just like, what are you doing? And just in that look of intensity that she gives the camera in that opening in that opening reveal. I remember I remember how I how I knew it was it was again back at the beginning where uh, he where Greg goes, Do I take off my shoes? And she just slowly walks and he's like, What about the socks? And she just like slowly walks. It's like six seconds. And yeah. she just goes, uh, she goes like I, I can handle the I socks handle or something. The socks, and I'm just like, oh fuck you! Like, well, I, I kind like, of, I love it, but I was just, I like, thought I missed oh. something. I thought I missed. I was like, is that like double entendre? Or socks? Was it? Was that a '40s thing about the socks? <laughs> weird foot fetish thing. What? Like, yes. what are you? I was like, what is this revealing about Joan? <laughs> That li- that delivery was so deliberate that I was just like, I don't understand. What's the deal with the socks? But then it cuts to them in the shower, and I'm like, is he still wearing the socks while they're in the shower yeah. having that, sex? Like that shot of her in the shower, where you see right. her getting wet. Yeah. This beautiful three shower like, heads, wig, three shower heads, and you just see like 
Joan in ecstasy yeah. as all of this water pours of her. And I'm thinking of like the amount of work that production would have had to take. Was that one shot? Did they have to reset that? Did they have to send Faye back to hair and makeup right. to put her in every a, a time. new dry wig? Put put some like no. She said fresh makeup I, on her. She said I'm doing this once. We are getting it on this take. Let's do it. <laughs> and the director said, "Great, brilliant, we got it." And she said, "Of course, of course it was. we do. Of course, of course we, we did." Do. <laughs> I I half expected. I have expected like when I, I love that shot too because it's it's just excess. It shows yeah. pretty much the whole movie. It's like this gross pink, and then there's Faye. <laughs> she's glowing. It's all this, and you see, and you see that shot of her hot piece. Like he's kind of an old guy, but he's but he's still kind of built, though. I know. Like which, he has he has kind of a slamming body for this old guy. Which really kind of disturbed me. I was like, yeah, huh? He's like kind of yeah. really in shape for this. <laughs> that's kind of weird. Oh, yeah, like, that's absolutely. a little strange. <laughs> Um, was he, is he an actual person? Is this character, or was he somebody that they kind of developed he's, for he's the movie? Like a combination of yeah, I, like, I don't know. From from what I understand, I don't know too much about him, but I know he's a combination of two right. husbands. Yeah, or or not husbands, but like lovers and stuff. Right. Yeah, because I I went back and was like, who's this guy? And then yeah. it's like, no, it's it's the two for one kind of deal. Well, yeah. the other the other things too that they kind of like. <laughs> I don't know, just for just for pacing and timing and all of that, she married someone after she adopted Christina, mm-hmm. married someone, adopted Christopher with this man, right. named the boy after the man she was married, and then when he divorced her, Christopher's like four or five years old, she changes the name's boy to Christopher. She changed the boy's name to Christopher because she was like, no, it's got to match Christina. I wanted to name him that all along. He's out of the picture. Boom. Name change. And the kid's fully like five. Yeah. None of this is in the movie. This is like part of the Wikipedia. I love that. But that's just the type of weird, like petty shit that we hear about her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the whole Oscar acceptance speech for, you know. These are things that you're just like, she went above and beyond to like, to have that last word. She had to be that extra that she wouldn't go to the ceremony because she didn't want to be in person if she lost, but she wanted to be that extra that she wanted the cart out the press to get that shot of her in bed. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that, (laughs) that, like in reading about this, it was, it was interesting because it was like, Faye was trying to find as many ways in to, like, empathizing with her. When really, mm-hmm. Faye Dunaway was just as extra and petty as Joan Crawford. Right, yeah. Because yeah. What my favorite revelation of doing my research for this was that for years, you know, Faye was touting this entire, like, I was possessed by the ghost of Joan Crawford. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And she was – and she, she said a narrative that was like – um, for many years, I was like, oh, we didn't have a rap party because the crew, when we wrapped filming, everyone could feel the presence of the ghost of Joan Crawford. And then it was later found out that they had a rap party. She just didn't go. She just, she just, she just didn't go. She just didn't go. Uh, I think God. it was uh, Ronaldo, or uh, the actress, who, who like said that. You know, right. It was just like, no, we had a rap party, but... Faye just didn't oh show God. up. And I was like, oh, so I guess she didn't even know 
how petty she was or how similarly yeah. petty she yeah. was to Crawford. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I feel like everybody in this city kind of has a crazy Faye Dunaway run in, but you don't have one though. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did I you? I want a crazy Faye story. I, I mean, we've heard our share, but we haven't. <laughs> I, I want her to just like drive up on the corner while you guys are and go like, do you want a job? You know, and then just you right. guys like go for a ride. <laughs> I mean, sure. it's really, it's really, it's, it's, I, I'm not putting these two together, but I do find, I do think it's interesting. I think there was an anniversary of mommy dearest a few years ago or something. Um, but it kind of coincided right after the Faye Dunaway, uh, Oscar incident. Mm-hmm. And so I was oh, like, yeah. I was like, Oh, right. Everyone's going to remember her for that. And then mommy dear, this mommy dearest anniversary came up and I was just like, Ooh, it's just kind of a one, two punch to Faye Dunaway. <laughs> like Faye Dunaway's back, baby. Ooh, yeah. yeah. If I was Faye, I mean, you just kind of have to lean into it. You yeah. just kind of have to lean into it, but Faye is that proud of a person that she never could. And she's a great actress. I mean, yeah, she's I, great. I rewatched mm-hmm. Network not too long ago, and a she, very, a very like topical movie. Very with topical how media movie. has unfolded now. Yep. And she's kind of this like really like pre Aaron Sorkin-y like mm-hmm. boss woman character that I that we now see all over crime shows and and um, uh, HBO shows and stuff but I was like this is pretty she was pretty fucking great in that and she won her Oscar for it which rightfully so but I mean even in in Mommy Dearest it's like as much as she's hamming it up I'm like she's still acting the shit out of it and to yeah, think that yeah. Anne Bancroft was the one who was yeah. planning to do it and then turned it down don't I, I I haven't found any or I didn't find anything I don't know if you guys did about why I think that she was I think that she turned it down to do the Elephant Man with David Lynch. Oh, okay. Which was probably the yeah. the smart move. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I would not watch Faye Dunaway in the Elephant Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, what else to say? So, did Christina? I feel like Christina tried to distance herself from the movie, though. After. Yes. It was released, right? Or yeah. or she kind of said that it was just – I don't know. She didn't really have great things to say about she didn't, it. She didn't – I mean in so many words, she was like, what a cockamamie movie. And it's like, right. bitch, it's, it's based on <laughs> – the book the, – True story. And the book's not that great either. So, right, you know, yeah. and uh, – but I, yeah, and like only recently did she – she wrote an op-ed for The Guardian or something that like – truly denounced like the movie and stuff like Mm -hmm. that and she like really regrets it and really regrets like i don't i don't know if she said she regrets writing the memoir but she was just like it was not what i wanted and has brought me all this you know pain and trauma and stuff like that um but it, it's not, you know, I, I don't blame her for, I mean, it's not, it's not sympathetic even to her, kind of. Because she does come off, I think we had mentioned before, a little bit, uh, you know, like a, not a brat, but, you know, it's, it. Yeah. she doesn't, she doesn't really, I mean, even though it convinces us she has an arc, 
the arc is all reactionary sure. to what's going on in Joan's life. Like, it's right. always like Christina in Joan's life rather than putting her at the center of it. That's true. That's true. Um, this, the, when Diana Scarwood comes in, you know, you get this, you almost get this sense of like, why does she keep coming home? You know, <laughs> yeah. when, even, especially after she's, she's broken out on her own. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we do get that scene with, with Al Steele when he like, he gives her some money and he's just like, all right, here kid, like right. take, here's, here's some cash, whatever. But, you know, the iconic moment when, you know, Christina is laid up in the hospital and I think she's having an ovarian cyst removed and she's doing uh, a soap opera and it's a live soap opera from the 60s. Complete with like organ music. Complete yes. with the organ music. <laughs> um, this is, again, another thing where I'm trying to figure out the timing of it yes. because you, we still mm-hmm. haven't had any indication of what year it is. But I love when she's laying in the hospital bed and it's like, yes, she's, she's just had surgery. She's recovering from surgery. Ovarian cysts, big deal. Probably in the sixties, probably even more of a big deal getting knocked out and waking up again. She's laying in the hospital. They've made her up. It looks like she got hit by a truck. She got, she got in like a car accident or something. She's got like bags under her eyes. She Mm -hmm. can barely move. She's like, she's sweaty too. She's like very moist. (laughs) She's very moist. I think. Yes. Yeah. And the okay, I understand that it's it's live, so we have to see this arc of and they're showing us that the idea here is that maybe Joan was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and maybe she had a lot of shit going on, and she was horrible to the crew or or whatever. But when the first shots of the soap, when she's just looking over at when Faye's eyes wander to those cue to the cards, cue cards, so good. It just reminds me of like the scene in Pee Wee's Big Adventure when he's the bellhop yeah. and he just can't <laughs> stop looking into the camera. <laughs> and Faye's just yeah. like sitting there, like looking off into the distance, and this poor actor off screen is saying all her lines for her. Yeah. But then, you know, cut to commercial, she like swigs that vodka straight out of the flask and is like, has a cigarette, and just like, boom, I'm it, I'm here. Yeah. Here I am. Come back from break, and she's killing it now. You know, she's hitting her line, she's hitting her beats, and the scene goes off Jones without a in hitch. her element. Yeah. And, you know, and I think the idea is that for all her flaws, when she needed to pull it out, she pulled it out. She's much like Judy in that yeah. regard. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a great, that's, yeah, that's a great, uh, yeah, that's a great connection. She was a lot like Garland at that time. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, you think about Judy and um, Summerstock, just like, you know, anorexic at that point. Mm-hmm. Hyped up on pills, horribly drunk, and she and then she gets <laughs> she comes out and does get happy, you know, and you're <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you know, okay. and, and I think if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, it was like one or two takes, like I think just one, but you're just wow. like, oh my god, like she's yeah. just killing it, and I think that's a really like. The other interesting thing about, like, Faye playing Joan Crawford, and we were talking about this idea of, like, the men controlling women in the 70s, as it was sort of like with Joan. Mm-hmm. But I was also really fascinated in watching it how their this, this style of acting is also a very 
old style oh, yeah. of acting. I mean, you mentioned like on Golden Pond and stuff, and it's just like mm-hmm. this real. I mean, like embodying that. Like now we're so like I was saying, like about Daniel Day Lewis, and like how do you do it after? You know, like like the what's the after? Like even before the movie's released, like we're hearing about the process and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, Faye pulls it out, just like Joan yeah. pulled it out, and you're just like, yeah, as they should, as they should. If you're gonna play this character, and Ha- do this kabuki theater performance. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it is. It's like queer kabuki theater. It is. And, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, it's like then, then go all out. Like, and and I and I've read stuff where people were like, she doesn't find the nuance in Joan and all this, and I'm like, mm, no, I don't think she needs that. You know, I don't think she needs that nuance and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kind of when you mention that and kind of going all out to play somebody famous like this, that's kind of the the missed opportunity. And it, it's kind of funny that I'm bringing this up. Yeah. Is something like when Lindsay Lohan did Liz and Dick. Yeah. Like you're playing Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> like you can go big. Totally. You're making a made for TV movie about Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Like you yeah. can go gigantic <laughs> with this performance. And that's really not what Lindsay did. Like, no. it's pretty lazy. Yeah. And Faye, she's, like, she's not half-stepping this performance. No, and it's and it's that, uh, you know, I think, I think too, I think, too, we're moving into this, like, subtle, that we are moving into, like, the nuancedness a bit more because I, I think about, like, my week with Marilyn, with Michelle Williams, and it's just, like, she was praised for not doing a full-out Marilyn, but doing this kind of broken, internal, like, everyone-comes-to-me kind of thing. And, and, yeah, it's just like... And and I kind of long for somebody to do... um, And even, like, Renee Zellweger and Judy, which I've only Mm -hmm. seen clips of, but it's like... She she pulls it out, but it's it's all this like my internal psychological structure. Right. But I was like, I want a Faye Dunaway performance from Mommy Dearest <laughs> from someone. I was so I'm yeah. hoping that Lady Gaga playing uh, uh, in this Gucci movie coming out. I hope <laughs> I hope she's very big she and could, yeah. brash and brand. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, all of these stills that are coming out of. This Gucci movie of her like feeding Adam Driver something on yeah. set that that fucking f- Instagram photo of them and their ski wear love it it better deliver it's I, it. I think it'll be good it's Ridley Scott so I yeah. I, I have I have good faith they're in a good fit yeah I have good faith yeah. in Ridley Scott yeah so on the DVD of Mommy Dearest uh, it's just a, an old DVD it's not it's nothing yeah. probably no released new. around like oh six but there are a couple of special features and Frank Yablon's the producer is mm-hmm. on it. And I think he's very careful of when he talks about Faye. He doesn't want to piss you know? her off. He does say things like, hey, it's scene one. We are on the beach. We're burning daylight. The sun is setting. It is literally day one. All and of the crew she, are waiting for you, And Faye. she will not come out of her trailer. So he's... <laughs> 
setting the table with this story, right? So it's not like, so it's not like he's like saying like, oh, she was great. She was, you know, he he starts telling the story yeah. and like knocking on the door, saying this is the tone that you are setting right. for this entire movie. Damn. And he said, she, and then he said she came out and they didn't have a problem after that. But that's the thing. He said after that we had no problems. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah. He also says that it was her choice for the wire hanger scene to have the the mask yeah. the, and the you know the the yeah. cold cream on her face yeah. and you know talking about the kabuki theater and she just looks like something out of like miyazaki with like <laughs> this like the hair pulled she back does. and the white yeah. face and just like when she looks at christina and says cuz christina says mom she, she says something mommy and she says mommy what yeah yeah yes mommy dearest When I told you to call me that, I wanted you to mean it. <laughs> she is inches from this Horrifying. little girl's face. Horrifying. And it is. Has this, so has this little girl gone on to do interviews of just how this role scarred her for life? I don't know. I know. Is she is she like you know the Veruca Salt you know going <laughs> going and, and doing interviews about Willy Wonka? Uh, right. Yeah. I wonder. I I really wonder. I also wonder. Like you know we we uh, uh, you know we talk about like you watch it with your sister. Mm-hmm. I watch it with my mother. And like. I just wonder. It's it's interesting. I wonder what uh, like I, I I remember I remember asking my mom like why why do you love this movie so much and she goes it's just so cathartic like it's so it's such a release <laughs> wow. it's such a release to watch it and yeah. my mother is 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 not an angry person just absolutely yeah. wonderful but I was like yeah I just wonder like the you know because. For the gays, it's all about the performance, the the glamour mm-hmm. and the the camp of it all. And then, I, but I wonder, like, for like the mothers and the sisters, like, what 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 movie are you watching? Are you watching this right, movie right. of? Are you watching a movie of motherhood? Because if you think that's a movie of motherhood, I you know, there's <laughs> well, I suppose a lot more also with you. <laughs> kind of right. a big theme of this movie, and maybe why people like your mother gravitate to it is that it's a movie about childhood trauma and we all have had trauma from childhood Mm -hmm. and you just see this release of it in this movie that it could be cathartic for some people. Yeah. 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 I love it. Um, You know, we talk a lot about how the gay community all these years have, you know, latched onto this and drag performances and all Mm -hmm. that. And it's still today, you know, a big part of RuPaul's Drag Race, and it's part of RuPaul's like wheelhouse when it comes mm-hmm. to quotes and throwing things out. And every time you know Tina Burner walks on stage, it's "Bring me the axe" and all of that. But there's a conversation about younger gay people not being aware of this movie because it's from 1981; it's 40 years old. I wanted to bring that up because yeah. it. The amount of gay people I've talked to who have never seen it, mm-hmm. um, and I was on the so so I'm mid I'm mid to late twenties, so I was on the cusp again. If I hadn't been watching television, I wouldn't have known about this until right. I. I mean, I was I was the weird gay who was like seeking out these like <laughs> gay you know gay movies yeah. when I was. When I was young, like uh, uh, Pink Flam, you know, all John Waters and stuff. But I know I've talked to a lot of gay people, and 
you know, queried on Tinder before I even meet them, like, hey, have you seen Mommy Dearest? And <laughs> whatever happened to Baby Jane, which is also yeah. going into extinction in the gay community. Yeah. And it's really disappointing. I mean, because yeah. these are, like I was saying, without without Mommy Dearest or whatever happened to Baby Jane, there wouldn't be the drag race. There wouldn't be yeah. the Ryan Murphys and stuff. So I think oh, yeah. we're getting to this point in culture – and gay culture, I think, specifically where there's a lot of um, the influence we're, – we're kind of owning the influences um, of things that made us – when we're, the movies that made us gay when we were young. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, podcast over. I said the title. Um, right, yeah. And um, <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of gay creatives are – are owning those and making them their own without ever acknowledging that that's where it comes from. You know, I don't even think, I I also think just like the influence is so deep in pop culture for films like this that I don't think people even know where it comes from. Right. It's like all of the references to a movie like Diana Ross and Mahogany when just watching Drag Race. And we didn't watch Mahogany until like seven months ago. Right, right. And and then as we're watching it, we're just like, oh, that's where this comes from. I'm a a Uh, winner, baby. I'm a winner, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And now, yeah, we were like, we looked at each other and we're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Or that Bruce Melanch is the the architect guy. Yes. And he, he tells the story where he's actually reading the lines, like the thing he's showing her are the lines. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, it's, it's, and I, I'm just going to share a quick story. Speaking of Tinder, I was talking to this guy and on his bio, he was like, love classic Hollywood. If you can guess my favorite actress, like, like. Your your first wish is my command or something like oh, that. Oh, sure. And I was <laughs> like – or my favorite classic Hollywood actress. And I was just like, okay. So I was like, um, Judy Garland. I was like, just <laughs> like, you know, the t- who, are the, who are the three that all gays know, you know? And, yeah. And he goes, no, she's kind of obscure, but she's been getting back into the popular culture. It's Joan Crawford. I was like, kind of obscure. <laughs> Kind of obscure. I was like, kind of obscure. Uh, and I, I was like, God. I was like, all caps, just yeah. like, what the <laughs> fuck do you mean? And he's like, well, she's coming back into popular culture because of feud and stuff. I was like, oh, bitch, Lord. she hasn't been away. I said, mommy, oh, dearest, all this. Know stuff. your history exactly. And uh, he blocked me. So um, <laughs> genuinely, Good. genuinely blocked me. And I was just like. Oh right, you guys don't know about yeah. like like, and that's that's really disappointing. I mean, but yeah. I, but I understand. Like I like I love that Drag Race is there. Again, like was it the seasons or it was All Stars two when they did like the film recreations and stuff? Uh, you know, they did like the like. Uh, uh, Allison was doing, or they did the whatever happened to baby J, baby JJ, yes. and baby like JJ. the the, the uh, um, show uh, squirrels, the show squirrels, the yeah. show squirrels. There was the the female trouble one from the Cha Cha Heels uh, from from John Waters, and so and there was like the Thelma and Louise one, exactly, yeah, it's Thelma like, and Louise, dead. <laughs> but I wonder if like people just laugh at that and then it ends with that, you know? It's right. like I want, and that's. That that's what that's what like really, because if you don't have somebody there to 
lead you to those things. Like yes. I, I had a great, and and he's you know he's still with us, but like I have a great mentor who knows about that stuff, and so like when I would bring up those references and stuff, he would be like, oh, that's this. And like, you got to watch this or you got to watch like, what is a friend of Dorothy? Where does that come from? You know, it's like, if you don't have somebody there to curate that for you, um, I think, I think they'll just go in thinking that it's another reference on RuPaul's Drag Race. And yes, honey, like let's kiki. This is so funny. And they're just (laughs) like, no, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't there an acting challenge this year? I think it was with Denali in like earlier in the season where it was a boardroom reference. It was when they were doing the Hallmark Put movies. A window where a window and, should be. And Denali, like Michelle Visage really <laughs> had to stress, this is a reference to Mommy Dearest. Yeah. And these are the lines that you need to hit right. when saying this. And it's, uh, yeah, how did you guys feel about that? I mean, because like, because I, I mean, I've, I've kind of sat with like my generation being very blind to a lot of, gay references but like did right. you get did that anger you guys like how well, did that feel? I think a window where a window should be is a good line but I think that it's not I don't think it's as like super yeah it's, it's not as big as the rest of the lines in the script yeah. Yeah. yeah it almost even took me a minute to go like oh yeah it's when she's in the the you know building his apartment or whatever but mm-hmm. yeah so it it's does, understandable it does make me sad that you know, when she says Mommy Dearest, they're like, oh, yeah, sorry. They're just like, what? Mommy, what? You know? <laughs> Is there something on my face? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, yeah. And I, I just, I'm, uh, you know, like the drag queens that I, I know and, and love and who just do incredible stuff, like there's some in L.A. And like uh, I know there's some in uh, uh uh, a friend of mine in Seattle who does drag, like they base their work and their fashion too off of like these classic films and these classic, right. like, because to them they're like, especially something like Mommy Dearest, it's like that's a reference point for the audience to yeah. also feel that connection with the performer. You know, it's like if you're making these references, if you're, you know, doing the Joan Crawford, like, kabuki stuff and coming out with a wire mm-hmm. hanger, it's like that is just, again, creating that connection. And and it's this, like, these references are the things that connect us. You know, it's like, yeah. it, it's like these, the movies you guys talk about on the podcast, it's like this yeah. is what connects us. Like, between generations, as a community. And so, to see that, like, I hope people are drawing the lines between the references and this. But I'm just worried that, like, if if we all don't share it, it's just going to keep us a little separated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's interesting because something, a movie like Death Becomes Her, kind yes. of, mm-hmm. is another one that, you know, queer people just kind of rally around. Yeah. And for kids in their 20s you know a movie that came out in what 92 93 that's an old old movie old old person and you know you watch death becomes her and you know meryl streep is sitting in bed with her head wrapped up and tape all all and it is exactly the exact regimen that you know Faye has got on when yeah. she's lying in bed yeah. when she's Christina. lying in bed and Christina comes in with the tray yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an exact yeah, reference totally totally <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yes exactly and it you're right it's this like oh 92 is now what 20 years 
ago, and it's and it's and it's also like I think Hollywood is doing this thing. Like again, going back to Ryan Murphy's Hollywood, like it's mm-hmm. it's like there's so many references to small things in gay in gay history and culture mm-hmm. that are totally not in any way like they were so distilled almost to a nothingness. You know, it was like if you want to if you want to do Rock Hudson's legacy justice, yeah. don't resign him to creating this narrative that is of just, just being a of just being a himbo. Exactly. And also don't resign like the Jim Parsons character of this like there were these closeted agents who were preying on their you know it, on their gay uh, clients, which was sadly true. But it was like mm-hmm. you know it's like don't don't portray him as a monster and then like suddenly rush sympathy in his final scene. And it's just right. like you're really messing a lot of things up with documenting queer culture and if you have the opportunity and i feel like hollywood you know there was that like fake poster going around that like death becomes her was being remade and it was just like and like for a second i thought it was real and i was just like Mm -hmm. is that what it's going to take to sure to bring gay people you know to the original or people back to the original are these remakes and i'm just like god forbid we have a mommy dearest remake. I don't know who I'd cast <laughs> though. Probably Gaga or like Florence, yeah, right. Florence Pugh or something, you know? As would, Joan, yeah. Yeah, as Joan. But I was like, I hope it doesn't get to remakes being what brings people to be like, oh, that's where it comes right. from. Yeah. I mean, maybe something like Feud would kind of open a door for somebody to look up. Especially that the whole show revolves around Baby Jane, that it yeah. would make a younger viewer track down that movie just to yeah. just to know what they're talking about. Right. I mean, we I mean we hadn't seen Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte up until that movie, mm-hmm. and it made us like go and rent that movie. So it it got us to to like to track down these movies. I also hope that uh, listeners to this podcast in particular go and check out a movie. She did called Straight Jacket, mm-hmm. where she Love Straight Jacket. Where she plays Indeed. an axe murderer, and uh, and so if you believe that, like Joan Crawford can never do that because she's nice and Baby Jane, she's like very <laughs> subdued. Go watch Straight Jacket, and you're like, yeah, I can see okay. her doing that. And that's yeah. her, and that's her her period of the '60s working with William Castle, where she was yeah. like, Mama's still got it, and she's got, <laughs> and she and she did some good movies with him. Like Straight Jacket is a decent film. She yeah. also did one called um, uh, I I Know Where You Are or I Know You're Listening. I saw what you I did. I saw what you did. Yes, so thank you. When I, I rent, uh, we go to a local video store in South Pasadena. They yeah. should just be a sponsor on this podcast because I talk about them all the time. <laughs> and I rented Mommy Dearest. With I saw what you did, yeah. Because our friend Millie DeCherico on her podcast called I saw what you did, they talked about it a few weeks ago, yeah. When they were doing their prank phone calls episode, and I'm just like, huh, I really need to track down this movie because it sounds insane. It's insane. It's insane. It has it has one of the best endings. It's it's a great ending, and uh, uh, but yeah, it's it's just a wild wild movie. But she was getting those roles because of Baby Jane. Right, and right. and this like old hag uh, era of mm-hmm. or old hag horror or something like that, where it was uh, hag exploitation, and it's also grand dame, uh, yeah. Guignol. 
Gunyan. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's just great. And so, so I, I also love that in the context of like the journey to Mommy Dearest. It's like this right. camp period of Joan and Betty Davis. Uh, and so when Mommy Dearest comes out, it's like we hold this as like this huge camp thing. But if you watch Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Hush Us, Sweet Charlotte 2, I Saw What You Did, Straight Jacket, you're like, they were doing camp back in the 60s. Yes, and indeed. you're like, you're like, yeah. yeah, okay, great. This like portrayal of Joan as camp, you're like, no, nah, she was doing it to herself back then. Yeah. Yeah. Um that kind of leads us into, you know, her later years and, you know, people kind of refer to it as her career decline doing these campy movies yeah. just because for a woman of a certain age in the 60s and the 70s, there wasn't you a lot of work. You had to go being, to genre movies like horror. Yeah, there yeah. wasn't a lot of work thrown your way. Um, finally, her last film, her last film was Trog. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Trog, crazy. Trog. But. You know, right. all this stuff is in <laughs> it is in, in feud and it's kind of there to, to, to illustrate what, you know, she just wanted to work. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, those um, scenes in feud where they're playing This is the End by the Doors. And she's going to work on the set of yeah. Trog yeah. and just like doing her makeup in her car and, like a and van. just like yeah. swigging whiskey. And it's yeah. just so sad. Yes, and, and it was so it was and it was such a sad time in Hollywood because it was like it was the end of the studio system and rightfully yeah. so the studio system should have been yeah. abolished absolutely my god and like um but it was it was the it was like with Easy Rider everything changed pretty much it was like yeah. Easy Rider and uh Bonnie and Clyde and all these like independent stuff it, it it just gave a reason but yeah the casualties were all of these actors because um, mm-hmm. we were talking about tv movies and it was like you see a, a a shit ton of like old hollywood actors but also a lot of older secondary actors like going into tv movies and you see the you know like the the woman who played grandma walton you know is was such a huge like right. supporting character in like the 40s 50s and 30s and yeah after 60s it was like she just went to television so it was like you either went to television you went to tv movies or your career was dead and you did and you did exploitation which was sad i mean really really sad yeah i mean are there's kind of cases like barbara stanwick who had a little career comeback in thornbirds right which i think she won an emmy for but then also in the 80s there was Old lady stars like Angela Lansbury and all of the Golden Girls that were sort of given these unique opportunities on yeah. TV yeah. as well. Yeah, and yeah, that's a great point because suddenly they're like suddenly people wanted the older actresses, mm-hmm. and even you get like again we're going back to it on Golden Pond. Yep. I mean, is a great is a great <laughs> you know is a is a great example in like going in style or going my way or something. It was just like. These older actors still still at it, still kicking, yeah. still playing. But the the harsh reality was was that they were, you know, they were still being produced by but you know big budgets and and Hollywood studios and stuff. But uh, it was still being overshadowed by 
uh, things like Jaws and, you know, these right, like right. big Hollywood blockbusters. I mean, and again, people always forget that like Star Wars was a lot earlier than we'd like to imagine it to be. And so yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. right, that fucking changed everything too. Everything. Jaws yeah. and, and Star Wars changed everything in the 70s. So there was like no way we're like, and it's ironic because now we so revere older actors and actresses and like, especially in those roles. But up until God, even the nineties, it was like, if you were a woman over a certain age, you only played a mother. You only yeah, played yeah. a mother or you played a psychotic woman, you know, yeah. like some of these women did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the last scenes or one of the last scenes in, in Mommy Dearest when Christina goes and accepts this award for Joan and they cut to Faye in bed, like on a box spring on the floor in her sad little, New you York know, apartment. and I don't know where, you know, maybe we meet somewhere in the middle from here. And, and those last scenes yeah. of a feud where she's having these like waking dreams of, she would, she would have, know. she would see like had a hopper and Jack Warner yeah, in, her living room. in her apartment. Right. Um, but when Christina is at the funeral and goes into see Joan, and it is Faye in the coffin, <laughs> laying in the white satin pillow, a blue key light on her face. Yeah, yeah. And you just, I mean, I just half expected Joan to just like yeah. jump out of <laughs> <laughs> do it, do the end and of go Car- for do the end of Carrie and just grab yes. her. She's like, ah! and then Christina it, wakes I, up as a child and is absolutely. Like, oh yeah. I don't know if it's just the way it's shot or just the overall tone of the movie that you're just like. Ah! And what was crazy about? I mean, Joan only died in '77. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie yeah. came out in '81, so it was only like four years ago. Yeah, right, right. It's yeah, it's. It- I remember feeling that in the movie theater watching it because, like, you're exhausted by the end of it. Like, by the time she dies, you're wrung out. Like, I'm done. (laughs) I'm good. Not enough wine or bourbon in the world. And, uh, yeah, but that end, it's like, it's there's just so much tension, I think, because of the silence. And that's the other thing that I was so surprised by. I'm watching it and I go... Oh my God! Henry Mancini, Breakfast at Tiffany's, right. did the music, and then there's like kind of no music throughout. Yeah. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. very quiet, quiet movie, and the silence. You get that main theme at the beginning, and that's kind of yeah. it. But I was yeah. like, could they have layered on some like really nice music? <laughs> Otherwise, right. it was like I... a, a a haunted house creeping down, you know, to <laughs> the door. Yeah, I, I have expector to like come up and go like. <laughs> Right. And, you know, the story is that Joan found out about the book before Mm -hmm. she died and changed her will because of it. Right. But that doesn't leave. But that doesn't explain why she cut out Christopher. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting, you know, that she just completely left the two of them out, cuts them out, you know whole cloth um the twins are not mentioned in it but the but the twins did get money yeah you know from the from the will and um i just love the the very last you know last lines of the movie christopher says she she's got the last word like always and 
Christina just looks off into the distance wistfully. Yeah. <laughs> and, then it, and then it just fades out. Yeah. 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 Well, also, what did they expect? To... I mean, yeah. I don't know. Something. <laughs> it's it's moments like those that, uh, you know, were true that I was like, right, her, you know, whether, you know, as much as we talk about the inaccuracies of the film, it was like her life was still such a film. Her life was still right. such a movie. And I really had to give it to, I mean, as again, as much as we despise her for what she did and, and like how fucked up that the movie was, it was just like she really lived that like full the, – the, she lived the life that she kind of wanted to play on film, Joan Crawford did. You know, it was right, like she right. really was a character in her own movie. And I don't think the – I don't think the – um. The, the mommy dearest doesn't doesn't really like lean into that as much as I wished it would. Like this, like right. I mean, it does this like on screen, off screen a little bit because we get it with like the soap opera and and the Mildred the Mildred Pierce scenes and stuff. But I was like, I, I really wanted that because I was like, I feel like she just felt she was a character in her own movie. Like she just always would feel that. And everyone else was just playing around her. And she always was playing for the close-up. And she's always playing, you know, cheating out and being wonderful. And everything has to <laughs> everything has to be clean. Everything has yeah. to, you know, she has to be that. So, um, yeah, I really thought that that ending was very satisfying because it was like, oh, of course. Of course she did that. She's Joan, yeah. she's Joan fucking Crawford. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like, but then this this book and movie, that's the last word. Christina got the last Christina word. Christina gets it last. <laughs> and it still lives on. Actually, Faye uh, got the last word. Faye's yeah, getting this is the true. last and word. Also, this is true. Faye's, and also Faye's career, she's so interchangeable with Joan that, yes. like you mentioned, that you just assumed that it was Joan Crawford when you were a child. Oh, I sure. thought that. And I, I think thought that, that too. just yeah. sort of followed career even to this day it does people kind of mistake the two well and what's interesting is kind of is after mommy dearest again we talked about how her her career kind of went on a a, a, a decline and i think it was star girl that like got her back or something uh but she Supergirl. did super girl yes but she's she, iconic and super girl she's so good she's so good glamour and uh but she did these movies that were kind of like Joan after whatever happened to Baby right. Jane, which was her right. supposed to be her comeback. Her comeback, um, yeah. and she, you know, and she did these kind of schlocky, no one's ever heard of them films. I mean, yeah, William Castle did make a few bucks, but it was it was no Oscar material. It was right, always kind right. of like it was B uh, quality all the time. And Faye Dunaway did the same way. I mean, and maybe to this day, she still is doing those. <laughs> like, yeah. So I've been seeing clips of that actress reality show that was on the CW or UPN that's been going around. What the, was that? I think it was called The Starlet. It was incredible. I could have sat there and did it all day. I had so much fun. I enjoyed How can you say you had so much fun? End quote. So much fun. Did you have so much fun doing that? I fun did. is not what you have when you do one of those kind of scenes. I it's not know. like I wanted to have a party and kick up my heels, but I was like... You know, we just said it was fun in that kind of a light way. And it just made me feel that maybe you weren't grappling, actually, with the demands of the scene. If we wanted fake emotion, we'd cast Barbie. I felt that the emotion you are capable of... I didn't see on the screen. Or something like that. It was like America's Next Top Model for, like, film ingenues. And <laughs> Faye Dunaway fancied herself the Tyra Banks of it. 
And I Simon Cowell. I gotta watch it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll post a clip of it. It's yeah, pretty gnarly. Um, yeah, I mean, this this movie, like, it does live on. I think it is important for the queer community to seek it out. And, you know, thankfully right now it is available on Amazon Prime. Yes. So people can go watch it because I know we are in the midst of a generation that are just like, is that on Netflix? No, then I'm, I'm watching, not watching it. it. Right. So, you know, this is available for you to stream um, on on Amazon Prime. And, and I think people need to watch it. Like, Gay people need to watch it. Yeah. You need gay to people need to watch understand it. where like, where this shit's coming it's from. It's like Showgirls. It's essential viewing. Yeah. And it's one of those seemingly bad movies that just has this reputation. But I'll be damned if we aren't sitting here in 2021 still talking about it. Still so talking about it. There's some magic to it. Still enthralled by it. Still disturbed by it. I mean, it, I, I try to watch it every year. Just to remind myself, I'm like, I, I was actually texting my family today. I was like, or my mom and dad and brother and sister. And I was like, uh, it's not as funny as I remember it. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I said, but the moments that I laugh, they are so funny. So, you know, Barbara, please watch this movie. (laughs) Yes, please, 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 Barbara. (laughs) Oh my goodness, man! I think, uh, I think we just about covered. Yeah, I forgot to say my favorite line oh. of the movie. Known, you know where to find the boys and the booze. I think that's my favorite line. The boys and the booze. <laughs> I was yes, I was trying to think of that line last night, and I got it. I got it mixed up with a line from uh, the Waltons movie, which was oh, like, shit. which was like <laughs> Homecoming with Patricia Neal, where she's just like, it's just uh, uh, men and liquor. That's all you think about <laughs> men, and, and so uh, that was just all playing through my head. And I'm just yeah. like, I'm like, no, it's not that. It's it's some alliteration, boys and booze. Yes. When she it. pulls Christina out of that school <laughs> and they're driving down the road, and Christina says. There's a liquor store in the next right. Her, she, oh, the, uh. And we should mention that we live just down the hill from the Sacred Heart Academy. Academy for yeah, girls. We do. Is there a liquor store close. on the way? I'm sure <laughs> there there probably. probably I'm sure that there's many. <laughs> there's probably many, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I think, I mean. Thank you guys so much for having me on. This has been thanks. so fun. Thanks so much for coming Thank on the so show. Much, Jackson. Yeah, this fun. was a lot of Glad fun. Glad that we finally worked this out. It's been so much to talk about this movie. We'll yes, have indeed. you back on. I was going to say, have you guys done Witches of Eastwick yet? Of course. Okay. That's what, that <laughs> was did. one of my favorite movies when I was a little kid. Damn. I Listen just, to our Witches I just, of Eastwick I episode. just watched it for the first time last year during the pandemic, and I was, ah. I'm was i obsessed. I love it. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. We had a podcast it's called great. That Age Well Do That With Us, Paul and Erica. And yeah, that was just my movie when I was... 12 years old, did I have any business watching that movie being that young? No, but I loved it. (laughs) You know, I was was really surprised it was not as like in your face as I thought it was. I I thought they talked up the sex a little bit too much. I was like, meh, okay. Okay. I was like, all right. They fly around. That's that's a little I was like, okay. All right. Okay. (laughs) Love that movie. That's great. Well, thank you so much once again. We'd love to have you on in the future. Yes, thank you. But thank you. Until I'll, I'll then. Until then. Thank you. Yes, indeed. You're yes. welcome. Bye. Bye. Bye guys.
And thank you so much, everyone, for listening to another good one. Love oh my this movie. goodness. I can't but believe shit. It was so much fun to talk Yeah, about. and there's so much more about Mommy Dearest that we didn't even, like, get to. But Kind of what, this is one of those episodes that turned into not necessarily a recap of the movie, just kind of a general discussion. I love those episodes. And that's okay. I yeah. love that. Yeah, I love it. But yeah, go go watch Mommy Dearest if you haven't already. It's on Amazon Prime. And um, if you uh, can pick up the DVD, renting it somehow... We watched a little Check bit it of out. it with John Waters' commentary, which was a delight. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the, com- there's, the commentary track by John Waters is really fun. But um, I think it's come to that time in the episode. Time for some shout-outs. Patreon shout-outs, yay. Woohoo! We want to say hey to our patrons, Paul, Jamie, Drew, Jimmy, Genevieve, Don, Josh, Aaron, Melinda and Jim, Jessica, John, Nick, Christine, and Rufino. Thank you for being, Thank a, you friend. For being a friend. Head over to www.patreon.com slash movies that made us gay for a bunch of exclusive content. Our newsletter, a handwritten postcard from us. And some Watch With Us commentary tracks. We'd also love it if you would write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. Yes, indeed. Write us a good review and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It's free and it takes, like, no time at all. You can find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Movies That Made Us Gay. And uh, on Twitter at MTMUGpod. Yes, indeed. Uh, once again, my name is Pete, and I'm I am on <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Peter Lasagna. And I'm Scott Youngbauer on Instagram, Oscar Scott on Twitter, and Scott Youngbauer on Letterboxd if you want to see what I'm watching. Go check it out. Until next week, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.